0: New York's Unemployment Insurance Fund, which the State Labor Department says has paid out more than $100 billion in benefits to millions of New Yorkers during the COVID-19 pandemic, is now running a deficit. State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli is proposing some ways to make the fund, which owes the federal government $9 billion, solvent. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports.
1: The state's private businesses are responsible for keeping the unemployment insurance fund in balance. States are allowed to borrow from the federal government when the fund runs a deficit, but employers have to provide the additional money to pay it back. State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli says the pandemic caused an unprecedented number of temporary and permanent job losses, with over 4.7 million New Yorkers collecting benefits. In January of 2020, before the pandemic hit, the fund had a $2.65 billion surplus, and it paid out an average of just over half a billion dollars in benefits each quarter. That rose to $6.5 billion in the second quarter of 2020. That's the months of April, May, and June.
2: That's an increase of over a thousand percent. The magnitude of the increase is something that I don't think anybody could have ever envisioned. He
1: says business owners could see their unemployment insurance fees, which are calculated on a company's total payroll, rise as much as 9 percent at a time when the economic recovery has been uneven and many employers are struggling to stay afloat.
2: It will hurt employers. It will make it harder for them to get back on their feet. It might make it harder for them to hire people. You know, we, don't, we haven't grown back all the jobs that were lost during the pandemic were not back to pre-pandemic employment levels. And this could certainly be a negative in getting us back to that point.
1: DiNapoli, in a report, says Governor Kathy Hochul and legislative leaders should look at alternatives. The state this year has collected $5.9 billion more billion in taxes and other revenues than originally projected. Business groups have asked that some of that money be used to help replenish the fund. DiNapoli says there's merit to that argument.
2: Maybe some of those billions... Uh, could be put towards paying down this unemployment loan that we owe as a way to relieve the burden on businesses.
1: A financial update from the governor's budget office says the additional revenues that were collected will be used to keep the state's budget in balance for the next two years, and $1.1 billion will be placed in a reserve fund to deal with the ongoing pandemic and potential new variants of the virus. A spokeswoman for the state's Department of Labor did not answer specific questions about the unemployment insurance fund, but in a statement, spokeswoman Deanna Cohen says New York, along with many other states, has sought loans from the federal government to make up for the deficit, and she says the existing state budget already gives businesses over a billion dollars in subsidies to help deal with the pandemic. Cohen says the state is also asking the federal government to forgive the state's unemployment insurance debt altogether due to the historic nature of the economic downturn during the pandemic. The state's business council has also asked that the federal government absolve the state from having to pay back the deficit altogether. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt.
0: Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer, Alan Shartok. Well, Alan... The Hochul administration has continued its tenuous negotiation with multiple labor unions as the coronavirus mandate that's set to go into effect next week could result in thousands of unvaccinated nurses and other frontline health care workers facing suspension or potential termination from their jobs at state-run hospitals. The issue, of course, is even the idea that health care workers would fight such a mandate. Well, I can't get it.
3: I've never been able to get it. The vaccines have been proven to be effective and good, and the people who are dying are mostly in the camp of those who have not taken it, many of whom have said after the fact, I should have taken the vaccine, I should have gotten it. And yet this thing has become political, and there are those people who think somehow that this is some kind of a democratic plot. But we have known from the very beginning that it works. And we have known that the people who die are those people who don't take the vaccine. So when you're talking about healthcare care people, it's particularly alarming. And it may tell you more about the kinds of divisions that exist in our workforce. Those people who, frankly, follow the last president and those people who are not willing to follow the science. And you would think that the healthcare care people are the ones who should be doing that.
0: Well, you had a conversation this week with the state controller, Tom DiNapoli. I love that guy, David. He gets rave reviews, quite frankly, from most of the politicians that we talk to, Alan, for being a statesman, for (laughs) sort of doing his job as state controller. And that's got the rumors flying because, obviously, we have potential major primary coming up, even though Governor Kathy Hochul says she's going to run for the term. And it never prevents you from asking him, hey, you going to run for governor or what? What did you think this time?
3: Well, he keeps basically hinting that he won't, that he likes his job, that he'll stay where he is. And yet there are many people who seem to think that he should run, that he would have a shot. Look, he's been controller for a long time. He knows that. He has to make up his mind as to whether or not this is a good idea to end his political career as governor rather than as controller. I hope he doesn't because I think he's very good at what he does and he's shown what a great civil servant can be. And if he does it, God bless him, he is a man who has his own ideas about how things should be done right and he certainly has done that as controller. After we have had bad experiences with controllers, we have had an excellent experience with him. Could he beat Hokel? I don't know. Hokel has certainly proven to be competent. Some people don't like it when I say competent. They think that's less aggressive than I ought to be in terms of supporting this Democrat who took over for Cuomo. No, I think she's been competent. I don't think she's been particularly inspiring in her utterances. Nevertheless, I do think she's positioned herself well to run for this top office again.
0: Well, one of the things that struck me in your conversation with Controller DiNapoli is after everything, after COVID, Businesses shutting down, people having to work from home or losing their jobs, all the fiscal problems that we had. We were talking at one point about a $15 billion or more deficit in New York State. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He told you this week that basically the state's up $5 billion. How did that happen?
3: Well, first of all, again, it points to his ability. I'm not saying that he's the reason that this has happened, but his ability not to spend foolishly and not to allow foolish spending and to watch our pension funds, and he has done all of that. He's also proven to be a guy who can change. You know, so many politicians can't. He proudly talked about how the investment strategy has changed in terms of climate change and the rest and that he's been following that. You got to give him a lot of credit for that, because there are so many politicians who put their money on the table. They do one thing and then they say, OK, that's it. I'm never going to change. That's not the
0: case with Tom DiNapoli. He really knows how to move when he has to. You know, and Alan, it dawns on me, too, that some of the credit here might go to the former governor, Andrew Cuomo. You at the time had said he's got to have some plan here to make sure the state shores up money.
3: Well, that's right. Look, it's not a popular thing to say good things about Cuomo. Certainly, I've been very rough on the guy, and he and I have not been what you would call friends for a long time. Nevertheless, he did have his competencies. He also had his problems. This week, David, one of the more interesting things that has happened is that the state was paying for the defense of some of the people who had uh, legal problems in the Cuomo administration, and Hochul announced that that we weren't going to do that anymore. That reminded people, I think, that things were not all right during the Cuomo administration, and yet, you know, you can't fault him for some of the things he did because he won three times. That's a lot in New York state politics.
0: Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Charton. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics, I'm David Gustina. St. Clair's Hospital in Schenectady closed in 2008 under financial pressure, and more than a 1,000 pensioners soon learned their retirement payments would not be honored. Now the pensioners are hopeful that New York's new governor will give their situation renewed attention. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas explains.
2: Republican State Senator Jim Tedisco, Democratic Assemblyman Angelo Santa Barbara, and St. Clair's Pensioners Recovery Alliance Chair Mary Hartshorn wrote to Governor Kathy Hochul requesting a meeting asking Hochul to take a fresh look at helping more than 1,100 St. Clair's retirees. St. Clair's Hospital, with ties to the Catholic Church, was shuttered after a mandate from a state panel known as the Burger Commission. Hartshorn has been vocal and vigilant in trying to help pensioners.
4: For us to be treated like this is a shame.
2: In March 2019, the St. Clair's Corporation petitioned the state Supreme Court to dissolve, claiming it had run out of money. The pension fund was decimated in the 2008 recession. St. Clair's was absorbed by Ellis Hospital around that time. New York State did pay St. Clair's $58 million to cover transition costs, including $28.5 million to cover the pension fund's anticipated needs. But a move to drop federal pension insurance protection in the 1990s doomed the fund. Tedisco said then-Governor Andrew Cuomo turned a deaf ear to pensioners' pleas. In June 2019, Hartshorn rallied with former St. Clair's employees at the Capitol.
4: All of us as a group together, we've worked together and we've taken care of so many people with or without insurance. No one was ever turned away from St. Clair's Hospital. But now we've been turned away and we're very sad and we're hurting for it. So all we're saying is, we're not asking for a handout because some people think that, and it isn't true. We're just asking you to understand that all we need is our pension. It's not a lot, but it's how we will survive.
2: Santa Barbara says the pandemic has demonstrated the importance of healthcare workers to the community. And the plight of the St. Clairs retirees is deserving of a fresh look.
5: Unfortunately, what we saw is the former governor uh, just simply not respond uh, to calls for help, the letters I've sent out, uh, the uh, numerous times we've been up at the Capitol outside uh, his door with no response. What I'm hoping here is our new governor, uh, Governor Hochul, will give these uh, individuals the time and consideration they deserve and work with us collaboratively to find a solution. Certainly, there are a number of things that happened. There's a long history with uh, the St. Clair's pension crisis. Uh, but these are individuals that have waited uh, far too long uh, under some very difficult circumstances beyond their control, uh, and there are things that are that are uh, certainly need to be sorted out. And there's a court case on the matter as well. There's uh, people that need to be held accountable. But our number one priority right now should be helping these individuals recover, get them back on their feet and be a part of the solution. Governor
2: Hochul's office responded to a request for comment by email saying it had received the letter and the governor would review it soon. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas.
0: At its latest meeting, the New York State Climate Action Council continued its work to create a plan to meet the state's climate goals. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley reports.
6: The 22-member council was formed after the passage of the State Climate Act, which requires a 40 percent reduction in statewide greenhouse gas emissions by 2030 and at least 85 percent by 2050 from 1990 levels. The council must develop a scoping plan to meet those targets and has been holding a series of meetings to hear recommendations from working groups and advisory panels. As the most recent meeting began, council co-chair and State Department of Environmental Conservation Commissioner Basil Sagos referred to the new sixth IPCC assessment on climate change, saying it offered stark warnings.
5: The IPCC report finding the clear link between climate change and human activity, but also determining in many ways that strong and sustained actions on greenhouse gas emissions has the chance to limit climate change. is relevant to everything that we're doing.
6: The Climate Justice Working Group has previously provided the council feedback on transportation, housing and energy efficiency, and power generation. At this meeting, WE Act for Environmental Justice Director of Public Policy Sonal Jessel outlined clean energy action recommendations.
1: We're supportive of efforts to increase the clean energy and energy efficiency upgrades for municipally owned buildings. We think that's a huge opportunity that's pretty clear Uh, that developing tools and resources including mapping to help municipalities undertake comprehensive evaluation and to
6: plan proactively for Adirondack North Country Association Clean Energy Program Director Jared Bly added the advisory group also provided a suite of policies to obtain a 30 percent reduction in emissions from the agriculture sector.
2: This means addressing agriculture's reliance on harmful chemical use, the impacts of nutrient pollution, the impacts of fertilizer and pesticide manufacturing, the lack of diversity in New York's agriculture the treatment of farm workers, and the harm industrial agriculture does.
6: Climate Solutions Accelerator of the Genesee Finger Lakes Region Executive Director, Abigail McHugh-Griffa, told the Climate Action Council the state's emission reduction goals are not ambitious enough. Particularly
4: given that forestry has the potential to achieve carbon neutrality or even become a carbon sink. A more aggressive goal for this sector is therefore recommended. New York should adopt the goals set forth in the Agricultural Resilience Act, a federal bill with comprehensive policies to reduce greenhouse gases from the U.S. agricultural sector. The ARA proposes a goal of reducing greenhouse gases 50% from 2010 levels by 2030 and achieving net zero emissions by 2040.
6: The next New York State Climate Action Council meeting will be held virtually on Friday, October 1st. You can watch the latest meeting at wamc.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley.
0: You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gostina. Westchester County is continuing discussion on how to allocate American Rescue Plan Act funding, the COVID relief the federal government granted to help address the economic fallout from the pandemic and lay a foundation for recovery. The Legislative Gazette's Allison Dunn with more.
4: Westchester County was allocated nearly $188 million in American Rescue Plan Act funding. Close to $94 million was paid to the county in May, but Westchester has yet to claim any of the money as far as revenue for the county. That's where the public's input comes in. Westchester County Budget Director Larry Sewell spoke during the September 13th hearing at the Mount Kisco Public Library.
2: There are five primary categories that we may invest the funds in. One is support the public health response. Uh, Two is to address negative economic impacts. Three is to replace public sector revenue loss. And four is premium pay for essential workers. And five is water, sewer, and broadband infrastructure. And the funds may cover costs from March 3rd, 2021 through December 31st, 2024.
4: He says there is a December 31st, 2024 deadline to allocate the funds and a December 31st, 2026 deadline to spend them. A number of nonprofit professionals spoke in favor of allocating the money for services and programs under their umbrellas, including childcare and efforts to end domestic violence and human trafficking. Shirley Acevedo Buontempo is founder of Latino U College Access, which empowers low-income first-generation Latinx youth on their
7: journeys to and through college. I would like to propose that funds be allocated to address the disparities faced by low-income students of color in Westchester and create opportunities to bolster post-secondary outcomes for our students. While many needs are competing for these dollars, most of them aimed at accelerating economic recovery for individuals, families, and communities. One of the surest paths to economic mobility is post-secondary or college education, be it vocational two-year or four-year. Students of color who were most impacted by COVID-19, economically and otherwise, stand to benefit most from programs that address the challenges they face.
4: Jan Fisher is executive director of nonprofit Westchester.
7: During the pandemic, tens of thousands of Westchester residents turned to 501c3 nonprofit organizations for help. And we delivered to all people from all backgrounds and at all income levels often without a great deal of public acknowledgement.
4: She has a list of how funds should be allocated to nonprofits, including to address racial inequities.
7: A majority of the nonprofit workforce consists of women and people of color, many of whom have and continue to put themselves in harm's way in service to others, provide premium pay for nonprofit essential workers, support nonprofits to support our most vulnerable, provide a robust grant program specifically for 501C3 nonprofits. Like other businesses, nonprofits need funding for operational expenses, and we have been left out of this.
4: Sean Mead is president of the Westchester Hotel Association.
6: Westchester hoteliers have lost substantial revenue over the past 18 months and are forecasting a challenging winter horizon over the months ahead. Uh, We need capital to operate
4: and to survive. Mead also is general manager of Cambria Hotel White Plains. Three of the county's largest hotels closed in 2020, the Doral Arrowwood, Hilton Westchester, and the Renaissance Westchester. In total, Mead says the county has lost 20% of its hotel rooms and an even larger percentage of meeting space.
6: Uh, Westchester County's hotel revenues have been hit hard, hit hard. In the first 12 months of the pandemic, revenues declined 56.3% from the previous 12 months. Even with 20% less hotel rooms, hotel rates and occupancies remain well below the 2019 peak.
4: Meantime, Westchester Children's Association Executive Director Allison Lake urges county officials to expand the capacity of existing home visiting programs. With
6: only 424 families served in 2020 and capacity to serve only 4% of Westchester's low-income Medicaid-eligible children, ages 0 to 3, The county's allocation of the American Rescue Plan funding presents an essential, immediate opportunity to support children during their most critical development period.
4: Others spoke about the need to allocate money for housing and the removal of barriers to affordable and workforce housing. Yonkers resident and activist Rita Walton has a few suggestions.
1: And the three things that are really high on our list are climate change, Police reform parks, she adds. So I'm not sure where all the buckets of money, as the county executive was mentioning, are delegated for. I'm not sure if climate change uh, is money is going to be in a different bucket. But if there's any opportunity for climate change initiatives, then that would be great to work on that.
4: At various times during the hearing, Democratic Westchester County Executive George Latimer reminded the public that the normal allocation of resources can be found in the county budget, such as departmental allocations for parks.
3: But it's also important to understand that when you advocate for uh, money to be spent, uh, there could very well come a time when that money will not be given to us additionally by the federal government. So when we take on responsibilities, we there is a future date at which Uh, the county on its own might have to support that outreach. So it's very important for us to know that there is sustainability in the programs that we begin because there have been other years in the county government where we've had a limited amount of money. We've had to cut things, and uh, I I don't want to uh, set up future disappointments. So we're going to have to look at all the
2: options and all the opportunities.
4: Westchester Medical Center Health Network Director of Government and Media Relations Dan Marcy has two proposals for a portion of the federal funding. The first is to help address behavioral health care needs in the county, which as is the case elsewhere, have grown greater during the pandemic. Marcy says WMC's Behavioral Health Center has seen a surge in volume and WMC Health Network wants funding to address infrastructure shortcomings in treating COVID positive and COVID behavioral health patients.
2: These underlying issues can be effectively overcome if we are able to renovate two adult inpatient acute care psychiatric units which currently includes our
0: designated unit for COVID-positive patients, which would require roughly, roughly 2.15 million dollars.
4: He says a second area to direct funds would address capacity.
0: We're asking uh, that American Rescue Plan funds assist in construction of a new inpatient bed tower, which uh, would be designed to house 128 uh, ICU-capable beds, all of which uh, capable of pri- uh, excuse me, all of which would be in private rooms to significantly reduce uh, infection risk.
4: The first of the two public hearings was held in New Rochelle at the end of August. New Rochelle was the early epicenter of the virus in March 2020. A spokesperson for Westchester says county officials are reviewing feedback and will outline next steps soon. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Allison Dunn.
0: And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2139. Or just listen or schedule a podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.